Attention! Have you or a loved one been diagnosed with shrimp epithelioma? You may be entitled to a better discount. Shrimp epithelioma is a rare disease linked to shrimp envy. Exposure to shrimp envy in pet stores, big box chain stores, social media, or your mom's house may have left you at great risk. Please don't wait. Go to joeshrimpshack.com for 15% off everything in the store using promo code AquariumGuys at checkout. Shrimp epithelioma patients, order now. All right, guys, and don't forget about Ohio Fish Rescue. They need your love and support. Go to Ohio Fish Rescue on YouTube. Like and subscribe to their channel. They do a fantastic content. You can donate to the Ohio Fish Rescue right in the show notes. Certainly uh, give them uh, some love. And just to let you guys know that a couple episodes from now, you guys will be hearing a, hopefully, cross your fingers, an episode with Scott Fellman from the podcast called The Tint. I recommend you listen to it. You can find it on most platforms. He owns a business called Tannin Aquatics. And he wants to give you listeners a gift. So go to the bottom of our website, AquariumGuysPodcast.com, and sign up for a free giveaway from Tannin Aquatics. They are giving away a Tannin Explorer Pack. The Tannin Explorer Pack is a $60 value. And what they do is they curate based upon your tank's needs and send you a package filled with ingredients to add tannins to your waters, leaves, seeds, bark, whatever you may need for your aquarium. So certainly sign up. It's a fantastic offer. TanninAquatics.com. Let's kick that episode. Welcome to the Aquarium Guys Podcast with your hosts, Jim Colby and Rob Zolson. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. So this week we have a new theme. We had Taylor from Simply Beta on and it was a fantastic time. Jimmy had fun picking on her. She had a lot of great information. I learned that betas were transgender. Had no clue. Had no clue at all. Anytime that we have conversations with betas, and this goes for any content creator, because I get a lot of content creator friends that have reached out since we've done this podcast, and nobody wants to talk about betas specifically, or at least not a section of people do, because anytime they mention them, people's buttholes clench whenever you mention what container they should be put in, you know, parameters, anything else, because the beta community knows what the beta's been put through. The betas are a very hardy fish. They can live in a puddle. They've been abused for years, even like the most you know common that we see around now. They still have people that believe that they'll put them in a glass jar with a potted plant and think they'll eat the plant roots. And it's supposed to be some like hydroponic or aquaponic feeding system. Not not fun. So everything from even shipping betas on wet paper towels, they've been very protective and think that betas are misrepresented and should be given the best environment possible. So anytime that we talk about betas, we knew we were going to get some uh, feedback. And we did get some. I got private messages, public messages, and so on. And it's just to be expected. But that really inspired me. If that is what some people want to uh, get upset about, I think we should do an entire episode to get people upset. What do you think, Jimmy? I think we should. Let's talk about puppy meals. Let's talk about everything. Oh, let's start with that. Yes, <laughs> please. Let's talk, let's talk about everything that they may not know. Like, let's talk about the stuff that no one else will talk about because either they're sponsored or they're on YouTube and they're not allowed to. This is a podcast. <laughs> we can say really whatever shit we want. Let's take that. Uh, are, are we going over to the dark side? Let's let's see what happens. You oh, know? yeah. Let's set ourselves on fire and let's do the uh, scandalous podcast. And I'm your host, Robs. I'm Jim Colby, and I'm going to be avoiding all this all night long. Sure. <laughs> and I'm Adam on the shore. Along for the ride. Clearly. Along for the ride. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs>
Watch, watch Rob drive this one right into the ditch. I can't Right wait. into the dirt. Right into the dirt. So what we're going to do is we have a list here of some stuff that we've been thinking about for a little while. And this is not everything. There's a lot to talk about with the entire hobby. So we're going to pick some of our, you know, handpicked favorites. To start this off, like any podcast, we have to do some updates. We've had a question uh, message into us. And again, you can go to the AquariumGuysPodcast.com. On the bottom of our website, we have email, phone, you can text us. We have Discord, so you can message us a live chat. And someone messaged us, you know, what is the timeline that angelfish should grow in? So from from egg, X weeks, they should be a quarter. X weeks, they should be a 50-cent piece. And since you are an angelfish expert, what do you see your angelfish grow in? If you want to start from the eggs on up, I mean, after angelfish lay eggs, they usually hatch within 48 hours, usually absorb their yolk sac at about the age of five, six, seven days, depending on your water temperature. Uh, from there, when you start feeding them live brine shrimp, it all depends on, again, of uh, water quality, uh, amount of time you feed them, you know, like three, four or five times a day, and uh, also the amount of space you give them. So I normally like to have fish at 12 weeks for sale. And I normally would get those uh, between the uh, dime and a nickel size body. I'm not talking about fins or whatnot. Um, medium size, usually about three and a half to four months. And at six months, uh, your fish should be large enough to start pecking at each other and started to, they're called pre-breeders at that point. Now, this all varies because temperature is another big one. Absolutely. Like you said, water quality, which the most important thing is calcium. Absolutely. And no calcium, no growth, and uh, that feeding. Cannot stress that enough. And this goes for a lot of different fish. Most fish, all these uh, th- things factor into it. If you can, even with cold water fish, you know, feed a ton or have live food available for them all the time. That's how you know outdoor coral farmers do is with uh, Daphnia. Right. It's all it's all about the food and about the water quality. The, the one gentleman that I used to buy uh, fish from when I couldn't produce enough, he he had the thickest bodied fish you've ever seen and he raised them in 300 gallon water troughs and he had a continual stream of water going in there so the water change was getting i think he was getting 100 percent water change about every day day and a half out of 300 gallons and he had tremendous amount of uh, growth compared to what i had but then again he had five or six automatic timers uh or i'm sorry automatic feeders on top of the water and then of course every time he walked through the building he'd throw more more food so just like anything else, the more you eat, the faster you grow. So you can really raise some fish. And, and that's what a lot of these people that get all fired up about different things is about uh, raising fish quickly. I mean, raising chickens to adulthood in what? Six, six weeks. When I was a kid, it was 12, 14 weeks. And, and it's all about the, the food and how these things have been bred to grow. And so that leads us into a whole other pile of a stinky mess. I feel like you should do a presentation for like one of these aquarium societies. Like, how can you expedite your growth? Right. There's a million ways to do it. And some people think it's ethical. Some people think it's not ethical. So let's get into that non-ethical stuff that no one wants to talk about, huh, Jimmy? Yeah, I thought I would just you know throw, throw you a bone there and let you get going. Definitely. All right, let's dive head first. This podcast is not intended for all listeners. We love all feedback, negative or not. So we're not complaining about those that are messaging us about the beta podcast. Give us your opinions. It starts discussions. And the only thing that can happen from those healthy discussions is people learning. We are not shaming those who would message us. We encourage them and thank you for those posts. But we really just felt like if that's what gets under your skin, we need to we need to go clickbaity. We need to get under your skin with some real stuff. So you want to throw some salt on a wound? I do. I, I want to start a fire. So let's uh, let's go to that garbage fire <laughs> list here and start with one of my favorite topics: juicing. 
juicing. So this is not your normal hormone, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger in a gym thing. This is juicing for the intention of growth and color in your fish exclusively. When I first started getting into some of the wholesaling aspects with you, Jimmy, mm-hmm. I immediately saw, you know, quality differences from a bunch of different people. And that's normal. Like different breeders have different stock and do have for different purposes. Sometimes it's price. Sometimes it's ease of ordering. Sometimes it's uh, color. And when you're doing orders for bulk stores or you're trying to find that one individualized fish, you have to try and buy to see exactly where you want to get your stock from. And what I learned is I got some of these great fish from some of these international places. But after six weeks, it almost like you turned off the color on your television. They just went muted, gray, barely any color left, and they morphed in six weeks time. And this was consistent when I purchased from these people. Like, what on earth could they possibly be doing? And that's when I began to learn and study into the details of juicing. This happens a lot in other countries. Now, there are vitamin supplements you can give your fish. There is special food you can order your fish, and that will enhance the color and supposedly longevity, fin health, growth. And those are really supplements. Those aren't really the juicing we're speaking of. The juicing we're speaking of is hormone-induced or steroids that they're actually pumping into the fish to maintain color so they can ship here and not care what happens with the fish. And how do they do that, Rob? Do they do they put it in the water? Or they put it in the food? Or, or are they taking them out and shooting them up with syringes? Most of the time, it's done with syringes. They're literally injecting the fish at a young age, trying to get them to grow for the fastest possible fish. Now, a lot of these places, especially with the parrots, or not parrots, cichlids, the peacock cichlid craze, if you're a cichlid lover, peacock cichlids are a staple for a variety of color. The males are exclusively the colored one. And to get a good color, it equals you got a good breeder. So that is by far the, the most common thing we see that we can't hardly order those types of cichlids from any vendor because almost all of them come juiced. Yeah, so I don't think there's a single one that I've ever seen not juiced. I, I got to get them from private uh, private breeders. There's no way I can get them uh, not juiced at other places. And if, if you know some, hold those sources tightly. But they do do in the food as well. But it is very common for them to inject. Yeah, the bigger the fish, uh, then they'll start injecting and stuff. And that's where they get their more bang for their buck. Uh, the larger the fish, the more money they get, of course. And uh, I've gotten in so many fish, uh, been so happy with them. And then, like Rob said, after after four or five weeks, you kind of go, man, there's a noticeable difference. I wonder if the bulb's going out in my lamp or something. And, and then all of a sudden, in six weeks, they don't have any color. And then uh, I, I call my wholesaler and say, What's, what should I be doing? I said, well, if you feed some stuff with beta carotene, maybe some of the color will come back. And I go... Are they juicing over there? And they said, well, what do you think? Yeah, they, they won't even answer. Like they, they won't they won't argue with it most of the time. They're no, like, yeah, they, everybody does. But if you do your homework, find out where they come from, they're juicing overseas. The USDA tries to, you know, keep uh, ethics. Even we dare use the word PETA does their best on trying to make sure that one, they're trying to eliminate the fish hobby. PETA. I had a, a conversation with uh, Dr. Pablo Teapot, who oh, is- I like him. He he is a wonderful guy. Um, I, I met him down in Miami, and he was talking about all his. He was he has a big cichlid farm down there. I, I don't know if he still does, but at the time he had a big cichlid farm. And his thing was, he goes, these colors are all Florida colors. And I go, what do you mean by that? And he goes, well, they're Florida colors. He said, these are natural colors. He said they're not made up colors. Is the way he put it to me, which to me was him saying they're not juiced up. These are the natural colors. If you feed them, 
and give him the mono the room and all that. So um, I did buy from him. Unfortunately, I had to buy eighteen hundred dollars at a crack, and we bought in one uh, one shipment from him, which was about six boxes, and we sold them all. They all lived. They all did great. But it took us a long time to recoup our money. And uh, if he still has the farm down there, I'm not real sure. But uh, if you want to see some fantastic cichlid books, oh yeah, Doctor Pablo Teapot. I've got several that are, are autographed. And what I like about his books, real quick, is that he tells it like it is. If if something's really really tough to keep alive, he, in his his little uh, note it says doomed. That's how he <laughs> doomed. You know, easy, hard, doomed. That's how yep. he. And that's how he talks. There is no sugar coating. Right. Yeah. And uh, that's what I really like about about, uh, about him. And so he's been around for years. I don't know if he's still alive, to be honest. Um, but it's probably been 10, 15 years since I, I spoke with him at the uh, Miami show. So the most common, like I said before, the most common are cichlids. Cichlids are the easiest to juice because even if you get a fish from a bad breeder, you juice them, they will pop. They have the genes to do it. They're going to react to hormones. And they're hardy. Cichlids are notoriously hardy. They can handle a lot of pH and they're known to handle juicing better than other fish. Fish like discus generally are not injected They because they're a delicate fish. They're different parameters. They're not injected, but they can still be fed the uh, hormones and other supplements. And these are not normal vitamin supplements to juice them as well. So we see discus have it not as common as the cichlids. And even into some of these, you know, oddball angel fish you'll see come across what you'll see with angelfish, you'll see these people that have blue. Well, blue is just like a small blushing blue hue. There's no such thing as like a bright neon blue angelfish that you really see out there commonly. So when you see all these pictures overseas of what they're doing, those are juiced as well. Most of them don't come over here. So it's, again, more uncommon. But almost all of the peacock cichlids that we get from wholesalers. And again, we'll leave names out. We'll at least do that for people is completely juiced across the board. Find yourself a reputable breeder and pay a little bit more money to make sure that they're not juiced. And if you want to take take 10 minutes, you can go on YouTube. I'm looking right now and they have several different articles about juicing and, you know, peacocks at globe because they've been juiced is one of the, one of the titles that I'm looking at right now. And there's a line between juicing and permanently damaging a fish such as the dyed fish or the injected fish with, uh, you know, glass fish are common that are injected for colors, or even glow fish, which are completely done in a laboratory. This is just juicing. They're taking a fish that was muted, brightening it up with hormones and steroids, much like someone in the gym. It brings out all their natural colors. I mean, they're natural colors. It brings out their natural colors, but it's their natural colors like that are only during the breeding season. So by introducing the hormones, it's like breeding season all day long for them. Imagine that you're a rainbow fish goer. Rainbow fish are notorious for changing color during water change breeding, that those colors stay turned on all the time because. So if you want instead to promote healthy colors, do it the right way. Do it with good food, with good vitamin supplements that you can use. There's great supplements that you can drip onto your food before you feed your fish. Juicing just isn't done in a normal hobby setting. It's only done before they sell it to you. And that's why your fish have muted over time. Next thing on the list, um, this is going to be a bigger one, mass producing. So, Jimmy, you have some uh, background in seeing some of the stuff they've done in Florida. We both have a lot of knowledge of how they do things overseas, but let's pick on betas first. So, betas overseas are by far the most, probably the second most farm fish besides guppies. I would say so. I mean, they're they're in the top five for sure. 
And and when you go over overseas uh, and you watch the, the the farm, I mean, they're the fish farmers. If you want to go online and just see something, I don't know if you call it disturbing or fascinating, depending on how you look at it, you'll, you'll go and you'll see these greenhouses that have glass jars, the entire length of it, a piece of plywood on it, another glass jar, and they'll have the glass jars 17, 18 high. And they're in this greenhouse walking bent over on top of this stuff because they have so many jars in there, but they keep them in the in the greenhouses to keep the water warm, of course. And there's one fish in each jar. And these jars are not the gallon-sized pickle jars that you're, speak, uh, you're speaking of that you used to do eggs in for angels. These are small mason jars or less. Right. Or, these are pint containers. They're anything that can hold water, actually. I mean, you see a lot of plastic containers, a lot of cottage cheese containers. They'll use whatever they can get their hands on because these are poor, poor countries. Now, this is the better breeders that you see in international sites. These breeders use glass objects. They use boards to prop them up. These small mom and pop shops that are still award-winning mind you in international countries use one liter plastic bottles like aquafina bottles those bigger one liter ones they cut them in half and that's literally what they use for the containers and these and and they're well taken care of don't get me wrong they're doing two water changes twice a day they're generally doing live food because all the time they can't afford dry food and they grow their own food they do a lot of maintenance and care, but the environment that they're in is a pint of water or less and breeding these things. They don't care about, you know, putting them in a big jar. They put them in something nice and shallow. So the male doesn't have to work back and forth, picking up the eggs and putting them back into the bubble nest. They're putting these things in dishes just long enough for the female to be in there. And it has maybe double the amount of water it normally would just to have eggs. Yeah, because these people are working out of out of huts. They're working out of out of you know maybe a plastic greenhouse that they made themselves. So they're they're doing it absolutely as cheap as they can. And you have to realize that they're probably only getting for premium bettas. They're probably getting a dime to twenty cents tops. And that's for the absolute you know best, best, best quality ones. Best right. quality ones. The rest it's down from there. And and, <laughs> and so these people are, are living in huts and they're trying to feed their family. And a lot of people get disturbed saying well, they're not treating the better correctly but you know what they're probably being taken care of better than their children which is sad they work 16 17 hours a day doing yeah. beta water changes all day feeding all day long they're handling real fish they have their own stores they bring to the market to try to wholesale because a lot of these people can't ship themselves or they're now just trying to connect to the internet and making these online stores that's why these are finally just appearing to a lot of people on youtube and it's a it's a sad deal betas can survive in a puddle of water yeah that does not mean it should survive in a puddle of water we may got to be very clear about that when we talked with taylor on the uh episode for the beta talk we talked to her and got her opinion on a gallon she says absolutely a gallon of water can be now what we want to paint out is that for long term one beta to live in a gallon of water not a one gallon aquarium i try to recommend like i always use uh this as an example the fluval 2.6 gallon spec tank is technically after you fill it with all of your gravel your plants your decorations your filter your heater everything else is about a little more than a gallon that's what i recommend a gallon of living space not a gallon tank where you have to fill with all this other stuff they deserve a nice healthy place to live and us suggesting that they're farmed like this is not how we condone fish living long term this is how they farm from a very young age to get out into the market to live their full and extended life. 
and it's it's sad how they do it but this is the facts and we're not going to hold back with information just because you you don't feel like it's it's a good thing to share yeah like i said it's it's sad to wait but it's fascinating to see how efficient they are they don't use regular nets they use either a wooden ladle or their own hand so these fish are are gingerly taken care of and like i said i mean it's like people that raise hogs and have a farrowing operation. I, I, I grew up on a farrowing operation. What that is, is just a hog farm that has sows that has little baby pigs. And they put the, the, the sow while she has the baby pigs in a very small, very small cage. And people go, oh, that is so inhumane. Well, what they're doing is they're trying to get this 275 pound hog from rolling over on its babies and killing the babies. And it's only like that for maybe 10 days and then they release them and they're just fine. I mean, everything is not forever is what I'm getting at. You know, if you have your dog in a kennel with uh, a big kennel with puppies for a week, because that's where she's most comfortable. And then you move her to a bigger, I mean, nothing is forever. And and that's what we're getting at is you just need to continually give these things the best possible home you can. But in reality, these things are raised in small, small containers. And there's a bunch of shortchanging as well. For betas that do live there, they're the breeding working betas. If a beta breeds, it's going to stay in that cup for the rest of its life and breed through. They're going to work that beta through its entire breeding cycle. And when it no longer breeds, it gets sold for a reduced rate in their local market or, frankly, gets culled. That's that's the humane thing is that if they have no place for it, in their mind, their humane thing, if they have no place for it, they simply try to get rid of it humanely. And it, it sometimes becomes feed for their larger fish if they're raising other stuff. It's really sad. If Jimmy and I breed fish, you have a angel fish, uh, essentially a little farm in your basement for a while. And if you had one that w- was, you had an area, bigger tanks for these fish to go out to pasture. This is not the way for international or even Florida fish farming. So what are some other fish with some background details, Jimmy, in say like a Florida area, which is supposed to be a hundred times better than anything international? Well, I know that earlier on we were talking before we went on the air is that people were talking about neons and how fired up some people get about neons and how they're so genetically inbred. What do you got to say about that, Adam? Mind your goddamn business. (laughs) (laughs) There's only, from what I've understood with neons, they took what bred and they put them in little tiny ketchup containers. They took a pear. And they put them in little tiny ketchup containers or a little glass jar. If that's what bred, that's what bred. That's what they started with in the 50s and 60s and when they started breeding these. So then obviously they're going to take the ones that will breed in that little stuff and they'll keep breeding them. So they might be inbred, but they work. You guys want your fish. Like you guys complain about wild caught. You complain about the way that they're being bred. Make up your minds. So we've learned from the people at Project Paiba that a lot of these small Amazon forests, rainforest fish, number one, die anyway because of how the floods work. The cardinals. So they should be taken out of the wild. But these actually are listed by wholesalers as, quote unquote, the Florida neon. It's almost like they're treating them like a different species. The Florida neon versus wild neons that you would get from Project uh, Paiba would be significantly different than each other. They would not look as far as color goes different, but the Florida neon is significantly bigger and frankly is more adapted to how they're farmed and some of the aquarium environments that we have. And, and they did not do that on purpose, but they can take the water too. 
they can take our water parameters here in the US. Like you said, they're quote unquote inbred from the stocks that they've had in the 50s and they've just continued on doing so. Because during that Project Paiba, he explained to us how many weeks or maybe almost months that it takes to get the cardinals from the rainforest to different water. So they live over here. And once they do that, which takes quite a while, they're a sturdy stock. But up until that point, they're pretty shaky. And so that's why uh, you have people either love or hate wild caught. And it's not because their genes are any worse. They're from a pH of four going to a pH of seven in Florida. So it's just a change and no one tries to adjust for that or has four pH water to accommodate. So it's a slower process trying to get. I bought wild. I've bought um, captive bred and I've raised both, but they just have different needs. When you're doing these neons, when you're doing barbs, when you're doing all of these bread and butter fish, the ways that they breed them is outdoor ponds. They do mud ponds. They are completely open to the wild. They are very small, and there's hundreds of thousands of these fish in these ponds packed. They throw loose food like it would be duck feed to these things, and they are on their own. Whatever comes out of the pond comes out of the pond in Florida. Um, There's species that need a little bit more TLC, but if you think for a minute that these things, oh, they don't have enough space or this, they are packed in, what, what would you say, X feet by X feet square ponds where it's just solid, nothing but fish and no swimming space. Right. And, and when in these ponds that they have, you know, they always have to worry about snakes going in there. They have to worry about uh, blue herons going in. They have Raccoons, to worry- otters. Right. And so these ponds- in Florida, just name the species and it's in there. Right. I went down there. Uh, I was on a farm that exclusively bred tiger barbs. What to me, what I thought was absolutely fascinating and how easy, simple and like clockwork. Low tech. Low tech. Absolutely. So I'll, I'll tell you real quick how, how they how they breed them in Florida. Uh, this particular farm had the old stainless steel five gallon tanks from back in the fifties, and I asked him, "So why do you use them?" And they go, "Because they hold water." Any other questions, dumbass? And uh, so what they do is is they have all their males in one tank, all their females in another tank. They put uh, several males with with a female so they can get them fertilized. How big are these tanks? Five these, gallon, you said. They're five gallons. And they'll, they'll throw, you know, three to five fish in per tank. And they actually have a, a stove cleaning brush in there. So the eggs have something to adhere to. On Monday, they set the tanks up. And how they do it is they go down to the local creek, which has a lower pH. They pump a bunch of water into a 300-gallon tank. Then they come and fill all these five-gallon tanks with the creek water. The water they're being held in is at a higher uh, pH and a lower temperature. So when they drop them in on Monday, by Wednesday, they've dropped their eggs. They pull the fish out Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, the eggs start to develop. And then they take them out and throw them into a 300 gallon vat. Once they hatch, they start feeding baby brine. Once they've got 10 to 25,000, then they'll throw them in a pond. And they live there and they get about 80% rate that place. Uh, so if they throw in 10,000, they're getting 8,000 fish out because you lose some, of course. And um, the whole thing is repeated week after week after week after week. And some people see that as inhumane. But what they're doing is they're just uh, supply and demand people. And that's, again, you're talking five, six fish in a five-gallon tank trying to induce breeding in small small circumstances in old equipment with metal brushes that they're going to lay eggs on. It's extremely low-tech. It's efficient because, again, this is a farm. They're not there for your end-game aquarium to keep there for the whole lives they only keep the breeding stock there for their whole lives 
and they farm, they grow the mountain grow ponds. They had an air stone in there, not a sponge shell, but it had air stone because the water is only going to stay in there for five days and there's only five fish. And I don't even think that, if I remember right, I think during that breeding process of those three days, they don't even feed the fish because they don't want the food in there. Uh, to that would make sense to crap out the eggs. So once they've bred, they get out and they get fed and, and they're put into, I think it was a three or four week cycle. You know, these fish will all be put up to breed again in four weeks. So they had four sets of breeding tanks full of males, females. So this is week one, this is week two, this is week three, week four, it would just repeat rinse and uh, continue, you know, making a living. Then the next process after they pull them from the pond, which whatever you said, 85% live from all the creatures and packing in the ponds and who knows what's going on in the ponds. So after that's pulled out, they go through their culling process and it's a fast culling process. They essentially take whatever hundreds or thousands are in the pond and they have a separator sitting there throwing fish into different baskets. The, The baskets that get approved or not approved is literally what you see for the bread and butter fish like like barbs. If they have good, healthy stripes, approved. If they are missing colors or something's wrong with it, to the cull box. Bent fins, anything Bent like that. fins, anything. All they're looking for is deformities. They're not looking for anything else because essentially barbs breed true. And even though these fish are all from the same week, they are different sizes. And so at that time, they're also sizing. Over the years, there, there's a difference between uh, a small tiger barb to a medium tiger barb to a large tiger barb. There's probably a 20, 28 cent difference in price from a small to a large. So anything that's large, bonus time. I mean, that's yep. you have the same amount of uh, time, food, money spent on on these fish. But now these fish are going to get a bigger premium, and you know, in today's uh, economy, that's what these farmers are looking for. So, what would you say is the cull rate out of that uh, batch that they just pull out of a dirt pond? I'd say ten or fifteen percent. I, I sat and watched it happen, and uh, you know, no real numbers and stuff. And I asked them what they what they did with them and stuff, and they said they they offer. Um, offer these fish to other farmers who are raising bigger fish for food. They're not wasted. They're made into food, which make people probably sick to their stomachs. That this tiger barb with a bent back or bad stripes or one eye, you know, because stuff happens in the pond. You got that many fish, somebody loses an eye and you can't sell that uh, on the local market. Well, now all of a sudden it becomes maybe Oscar food. I don't know. See, I, I love how you're just like, yeah, it seems humane. Or other people are going, oh my God, they're killing thousands of them. What do you think the fish eat in the wild, dummies? Adam's on his bandbox, isn't he? Oh. I love it. That's what I asked for. And he, he everybody's fired up. Tonight. He came to bat. He came to bat for this podcast. Are we doing a wild caught thing? Because I got a lot to say about that. Oh, give it time. Give it time. Okay. We'll all have our soapboxes. All right. That's barbs. Barbs is a 15% call rate because they breed true. They're going to have stripes. Now take other premium fish such as, I don't know, what's something that has color? Discus have a massive call rate. Discus oh. a fifty percent call rate or better, and and the thing with with discus angelfish, you know, we I've talked to a number of breeders and stuff, and they would rather sell you a one premium fish for a high price than sell you ten normal looking. And there have been angels. private breeders because private breeders call way more than these farmers. Farmers are looking to fill the petcos of the world, the pet smarts. They're looking for numbers and certain sizes. Right. They're not looking necessarily for what is deemed award winning or quality by any measure. For past the bread and butter stock, when you're talking about these fish, you've had people confirm that have just what we like to call mom and pop breed shops, where they're looking for the award winning, you know, absolute three digit fish that they will call a thousand to one. Yeah, I mean, and they'll take those fish uh, that are, are looking fantastic and they'll put a lot more time and money and space into them. 
and sell you a pair of angelfish or an individual angelfish for 50, 100 bucks, $300 for a pair. $500 a pair. Yeah. There again, it's the economy. It's the market. Because if you're raising 10,000 fish, you need a lot more tanks than you do if you're raising 1,000. And so uh, you look at it that way, people see that as inhumane. You could sell a fish for 25 cents or a pair for $500. Right. Some people are choosing $500 and they're culling the rest. You know, and that's what that's what all these horse breeders are doing too. You know, you look somebody like William Shatner, who just got divorced. I don't know if you saw the headlines. Him and his wife were fighting over, get this, horse semen. Because they have some award-winning stallions and they, they milk the stallions. They, they get the sperm out of the stallions and they sell the straws of frozen semen for tens of thousands of dollars. And they were sitting on all this horse semen worth millions of dollars. Is that why that blonde was outside of your house? So she's looking for your stuff? No. Oh, okay. No, that was somebody else. Just making sure. No, but I mean, they had millions of dollars in semen. And that's that was what made the headlines. They, you know, not that they were fighting over their six properties that they owned, but they're, they're fighting over horse semen because that makes great entertainment for everybody. But, uh, you know, there again, you know, somebody spends all this time on a, on a award-winning stallion, horse, could be a bull. You know, they'd rather have one bull rather than having 10,000 head, you know, just to make pork chops or, or steaks, you know. So let's call the, the act of culling. In a normal home breeder, like if you're just doing the breeding for fun, maybe you have fish to share with your friend, you do maybe one or two batches of fish a year, right? Because most of the, maybe the eggs get eaten. You're not intending to breed. What they recommend, and this is in we're talking aquarium books is that you either humanely cut them with a knife what or you use clove oil clove oil by far is the most humane way in my opinion it works as an anesthesia for the fish and that's actually how you do operations on things like koi or bigger fish you dunk them in clove oil knock them out you proceed with your operation fixing a fin fixing a gill removing scales whatever you have to do trimming puffer teeth Maybe yeah, trimming yeah. puffer teeth, removing an organ if there's a tumor in a fish, and then put them back in the water and they slowly revive. Now you keep them in clove oil long enough, and they're just out forever. Yeah, I mean, I I know people who will throw them in a bag and 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 throw them in a freezer, and I go, why do you do that? They said, well, someday my Oscar might be hungry and I'll have food for him. And I'm thinking that's that's strange, but I mean, there's a lot of weird people. I mean, I grew up in a farming community. So I'm used to, you know, calling. You got the, you have the cow that has a bad hoof, a bad leg. The horse broke its leg. Right. And, and that, that animal's put down because, you, you know, you're going to put a thousand dollars into a, a $300 horse. Probably not because of the economics. I mean, I feel really bad for people who have pets. And I know two people in my personal life here in the last year. And, and now we're talking about your pets that you live with every day and your dog breaks its leg. It happened to one of my coworkers. He's put $6,000 into his $500 dog. And of course he did because this, this, this dog is his, his, uh, family, his family. But I mean, at what point, depending on your economic situation, I mean, what if you can't afford to put that kind of money into your dog? And that's when those hard decisions have to be made. And this is the big topic that no one will talk about YouTube or otherwise. No one wants to talk about this. It's not a family fun, freely conversation. This is not something trending on, on YouTube as a, something to clickbait on. This is a real conversation that needs to be talked about of how to. And these you know farms, they, they can use clove oil. Clove oil is expensive. You know, you talk about freezing. I talked about cutting. There's flushing down the toilet. Yeah. There's feeding it to other fish for food. 
there's a lot of conversation that you need to know what you're okay with. I yeah. 100% recommend clove oil. It's not a, not a, a big expense. We know it knocks them out. It, it, I think freezing's inhumane, but that yeah, might I would go with freezing's inhumane personally. You got to talk about the hard topics no one wants to talk about because there's purposes behind it. Culling's important. You're going to have a fish die. You're going to have a fish that's suffering. You, as an aquarist, are controlling of their environment, and you need to know what to do if case you have to make decisions or even like we said with clove oil, know how to fix a fish. Right. And so, I mean, depending on, on what you're comfortable with, what Rob said. And so if you're going to be, I mean, everybody's idea is I'm going to be a fish for millions of dollars. You're going to have some hard decisions to make and uh, they won't be popular. And I don't care who you are. I mean, I just read an article today about how mean Ellen DeGeneres is. I mean, you can't make everybody. What did Ellen DeGeneres do now? What does she do now? Well, she dances too vigorously for those Mormons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there, there was a, there a lot of talk about Ellen DeGeneres uh, not being very nice to her staff. And uh, there was about 200 staff members that came forward and talked about it. But, I mean, that's not what we're here for. But you're never going to make everybody happy. That's, that's what we're getting at. But to open up the conversation, I think, is important. What we're doing this tonight and everybody's veins are sticking out in their forehead. And I think it's hilarious. So next thing for heavy breathing and... Uh, is hormone breeding hormone so this gets talked about a little bit more than i would uh, originally assume fish that are hard to uh, breed or don't breed in captivity a lot of times either get the water added with hormones so it induces the fish into breeding this happens a lot with angelfish if one starts breeding and they're shared water the rest start breeding the hormones are in the water so they literally take a tube of hormones, dump it in the water, and hope for the best for some of these fish to breed. They also put it on food. Here's the, the, good and, the good and the bad. Fish that can breed in captivity, if at all possible, should not be hormone-induced. There are a lot of different fish, a lot of uh, kerosens that are induced on purpose when they don't have to be just because they're not taking the extra steps or because, frankly, time is money and these things are they're trying to go for numbers to fill Petco. Now, there's other fish like the Siamese algae eater, which I have a lot of, that really don't breed in, the, in captivity. There's very few cases, and it's very few and far between to get these things to breed. So the only way that we can do it for an area that we're unsure yet, if wild can sustain them, even though with Project Paiva, we, we found ways to breed these, is by taking the fish and injecting them directly with hormones to induce breeding. It's a very inhumane process, but how can we keep the species in the aquarium hobby without affecting the wild species? If we could do this with some other fish, such as the zebra placo, there'd be a hell of a lot more of them. Right. It would drive the price down. But I mean, there's, there's a, a million and ifs or buts about all of this stuff, about about the breeding. Uh, you know, look at... Uh, our- Ethics get traded for economics. Exactly. That is really fantastic uh, the way you put that i mean look how people either love zoos hate zoos take it or leave it right now uh like in our local zoo the river valley zoo they're breeding uh the red pandas and and having more success rate than anybody else in the nation because of our climate and stuff so so you, you look at it this way boy that's inhumane to keep them you know in that small five thousand square foot you know place they have them but yet we're getting babies out of them that we can release out into the wild some of these are, you know, endangered species that that benefits for. And there's been uh, cases like the Endler's Liber is extinct in the in the wild. There's many fish species that White are clouds. in the wild that we exclusively keep in the aquarium hobby that there's projects reintroducing them 
or it's the last thing that we have of the genus. Imagine if somebody took a Tasmanian tiger, Google this if you haven't looked up that breed before, and had them in a couple zoos before it went extinct. We would have Tasmanian tigers still, and it would not have had to go extinct, and we could reintroduce them. Because, yeah, Ooh. there's, there's videotape of Tasmanian tigers from what year? It was... 1936. Was that I, I think it was? it was right around when we could actually f- just film. Yeah. So they say. have like two films of a Tasmanian tiger in captivity. Right. I think the last one, but like this, this whole um, Netflix documentary that's number one now in the world. This is the number one show in the United States is the tiger King. We have Joe exotic, which is an absolute nutcase of a person. You have to oh, watch. He's it. hilarious. It's a six part series. This guy is real, which blows my mind. And, these guys are keeping over 200 tigers at a facility. And people say that these are massive animals. There's, you know, 400 you know, square acres that they make as their territory. How dare you put them in a cage? As much as it is inhumane to keep those in a cage where fish we know can be kept healthy and happy in an environment because we're emulating their entire environment for a fish in a better environment. A lot of times in the wild can offer. Look at betas. Betas are in puddles, dry up in the uh, in certain rainy uh less rainy seasons we're keeping them in you know 30 gallon aquariums we're doing a better job there there's not a lot of ways we can emulate better captive uh, bred and raised tigers so people are up in arms but they said right on that documentary we have was it over twice the amount of tigers uh captive in the world than there are in the wild no kidding yeah what are we gonna do when that disappears i'm not saying it's ethical to keep a tiger i'm just saying that where's the trade between ethics and keeping of a species yeah, at, w- at what point do you, do you have to make that decision? And for most of us, it's really uncomfortable. So that Siamese algae eater, I have purchased a dozen myself in my own little collection here. I've had uh, quite a few over the years. And I just want to update on this, that this is the one that's always, every single time, hormonally bred. They grab a fish, they inject it with a needle to induce breeding, because these are a very unusual behaved fish. They have different social structures. They attach themselves to leaves. Their mowing behaviors and social behaviors are very unique. No one's been able to really consistently make them breed. And breeding in captivity at all is very difficult. I, in my 125 gallon, have a bunch of leaf clutter. I've done different water changes. I've added some vitamins to the waters. And I've had them breed twice. It's very weird. They, they hide in the back. One gets plump. And just because they're plump does not necessarily mean they'll breed. But this is a species that is so difficult to breed that if they decide they're just not going to breed, they'll slim down again and they won't release their eggs. They'll just dissolve their own eggs. So it's extremely difficult. They have not found a way to consistently breed them. I sure as hell have it. Mine's all by by mistake. That's happened twice. Uh, There's no way I can replicate it. And I'm not some like fancy breeder. It just happened. Have you ever had any babies come out? I have. I've had two. Wasn't able to catch them and I haven't seen them since. Yeah. You know, and, and like uh, zebra plecos, when they're only having seven, eight, nine fish, you breed enough zebra plecos to put them back in the river system. And right now, the river system isn't safe enough for them to go back into. To be That's because they're throwing dams it's everywhere. A, right. It's a tool that can be used for fish that can't be bred, and we're trying to save the species. But it also is abused and used for bread and butter fish that don't need to be in hormonally induced at all. And it's cruel to the fish. All right. So what's next in the list? Should we pick something different? How about uh, Jimmy's favorite? This blew my mind. Sterilization and lack of females. Sterilization. You know, I'm going to back up about a, a, a year ago when black Moscow guppies were, well, they've been, it's been longer than a year, but black, they, they've been around for a while, but they finally hit wholesale markets. Right. You finally, I mean, you see them a lot in the private sector and stuff. 
but to, to try to get black Moscow females that actually have the black tail like they're supposed to, those are getting very hard to try to get through a wholesaler because people are holding back all the females and they say so they can breed more, but they don't want any competition. They don't want anybody breeding something that they can get a premium price for. And so it's a lot like hoarding toilet paper, don't you think? I mean, I get it. I get that they're trying to get a premium price for that. But as as the Moscow guppies came out with the different the different colors and stuff, it's very hard to find females. But you can go online and get them from somebody like an Aquabid for like $45, a trio or more. But it's very hard just to find some, like, for the average hobbyist who wants to try to breed them. Another thing that drives me crazy is um, I get a lot of guppies from Sri Lanka. And what I like about the ones from Sri Lanka... Sri Lanka is well known for this, by the way. Yeah. I, I used to bring in uh, Sri Lanka males, and I can get them really cheap, and they are gorgeous. And they're pretty hardy for the most part. And the reason you do males is because a lot of the stores, they don't have a lot of staffing to answer questions. So the stores that you're supplying just have maybe some guy that's paying minimum wage that just has to get called over to the fish section. Correct. Yes. And you don't want them to deal with, you know, buying eight, eight males to one female and have them kill the female. So you're trying to do the ethic thing by just males for these particular stores that don't have the staffing. So they don't have the issue of female guppy abuse. Right. And, and, and here's me being a business person. I get more money for males. Oh Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. We Adam retailed for years. Uh, I get more money for males. They're more colorful. Uh, they're more more beautiful. Unfortunately, uh, in the animal world, a lot of times the females are kind of the more drab. So I bring in males and offer males, and every once in a while I have people ask for females. I would bring in the Sri Lanka guppies, and when I have to order them, I get 250 to a bag. And you want to talk about inhumane? A bag is about a gallon of water with 250 guppies in it there's another topic is shipping right and so uh they come to my place i usually can split up a bag probably to uh four or five tanks part of the reason is uh they need more room second reason is you never know what type of problems you're going to have with these fish so you're always hedging your bet you might have one tank crash on you and you might lose them because of tail rot or fungus or something like that but um i was buying a lot of females and i thought you know what i'm just gonna start breeding my own because uh i do have people asking for stuff and and uh, maybe i can make a couple of bucks i brought in uh i want to say it was 1200 females i think i brought in and after about four months i had about 12 15 babies from 1200 fish i had these in i had seven 300 gallon vats and these fish i found out were sterile and i never quite heard how they make them sterile but i heard radiation so we began to do some homework and it's quite common especially for sri lanka they have radiation systems. They literally radiate their fish like it would for some sort of cancer patient. They give them lower levels of gamma radiation, and they have tested this inhumanely to the point where they know exactly how much radiation to give the fish to sterilize it, but not kill it. So they're just giving it enough where, of course, long term, they're going to they're gonna morph, they're going to have tumors, they're going to shorten their lifespan, but they don't care. Because their secret bread and butter product that is, gets their premium price stays in the market and no one else takes their secret and breeds it on their own. Right. And they're, and they're, they're again, they're getting a higher price for the males than the females. So when you ask for females, they're quite a bit cheaper. Don't have a lot of color. But there again, I'm sure they're probably juicing them over there too. Now in the 70s, they had chemical castration. Didn't really work because anytime you chemically uh, 
not morph, chemically uh, inject a, a fish, there's going to be other damage. You're going to hit their slime coat, have them so they don't feed. There's going to be injuries to the fish, which change the color, the behavior, radiation, no harm, no foul in their minds. They literally radiate fish and send them to you. It's it's the most inhumane thing. And that's where, again, things that people don't see. Oh, so you know that story I was telling you, Jim. Sorry to interrupt, Robs. No, you're good. You tell me a lot of stories. Which one? Well, okay. The one about, you remember those Indian barbs that we, when we got them and we could never get any females? Yes. So there was one guy in the whole state of Florida that bred them. And I found this out through another wholesaler that wasn't Jim. And the the guy would breed them, and then he'd hormone dose them to get to see which ones the males and females were right away. And then he'd take all of the females and step on them. He would just kill them so that nobody could get them. All he, all you would get was males, so nobody else could breed them because he was the only one to figure it, that figured it out. And then they started coming from Asia because they got them over there. But literally, some of the top notch breeders when they when they're the first ones to get the fish, they won't let a single female out. They'll kill them. They'll do anything in their power to not let a female out. Yeah, they're just trying to protect their market. Is what yeah, you know, and, and and we see the government doing stuff like that. We, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff happening in the human race all the time that we just turn a blind eye to. Well, there's a list of people that should be sterile in humans, but let's not go there. <laughs> That's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Again, anytime that you're looking for the mark is ethics get sacrificed for economic gain. That's what you're going to look for. Any 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 system, any business, anything, that's what you need to be concerned about. And it's no different with the fish hobby. It's just that we, this is, again, our passion. There have been big str- strides and changes from things that have happened in the past, such as, you know, chemical castration that we've been able to identify, call out, and really control to make sure it doesn't happen to fish. But these things like, you know, gamma, uh, gamma radiation on fish. The things like, you know, trying to call out the females, it still happens because it's really hard to identify. So be knowledgeable, be aware. If someone's not allowing to get females, you know, they're doing that because they're trying to keep their trade secrets in-house. And it's it's sad. This is a community we want to share with, but it is the sad fact of it all that it happens all too often. Yeah, it's not all it's not all roses, people. Again, some of the products out there is the same thing. Heaters, they failed for everybody. It's not because there's necessarily a perfect heater. But again, heaters are made cheaply. And if you buy a heater, you're going to buy another. And we have buckets of heaters because we, we've been through them all. We get them, try to get them low cost ourselves because we know we're going to go through them. There are stories we just talked with uh, Big Rich and Josh about titanium heaters continually to fail. And we have to use grounding units just because we know they're going to short out. And w- you had a story about pumps. We had our friend Ty on, on the podcast a while back. He is the one that set up the big 22 foot tank or what was it? 2000 gallon reef tank, 2000 gallon reef tank. So they hired a guy from Canada who makes his own pumps. He shopped around to every major U.S. pump manufacturer and they all told him the same thing. His pumps were lasting on average of 14 years and they all looked at him and said, we're not going to produce these because we can't make any money because they're not going to fail. This guy is putting his pumps in. Uh, when he came over here to Minnesota to help, I believe he was, he'd come from Israel or overseas and he'd been over there putting in a, a big aquarium for the state or the, the country. He came over here and they've been using his pumps and talking about how they're hardly having any failure with these guys whatsoever. I mean, everybody can make a, a better product, but nobody wants to sell the better product because it's all about selling you the same product over and over again, like refrigerators, uh, cars cars deep freeze i mean the stuff's been all meant to be thrown away 
there's a a place in Boston somewhere at a firehouse that has the same light bulb for over a hundred years now. It's like a hundred and one hundred two years, and the light bulbs back then were made with a huge, huge filament. And if you know, like a regular incandescent light bulb, you know, if you bump them too hard, they they go out and they're done. Had a fun story about that light bulb. It was actually made in my hometown. Was it really? Of Shelby, Ohio. Yep. Really. And how how old is this light bulb? I swear it's, it's over a hundred years old. It is. It's way it's well over a hundred years old. I think it was a San Francisco fire department and it's left on twenty four seven. They don't shut it off, they just leave it running all the time. Yep. Twenty like literally twenty four seven. Yeah, and, and so there again, just incredible where you can make something that lasts forever and but nobody wants it to sell it because they don't can't make any money at it. You know, if they're only gonna sell you um, some of the new cars that are coming out, uh, have the hundred thousand mile powertrain, you know, and, uh, they're having all kinds of people stand in line for, for that sort of thing. But, uh, the new Tesla electric cars, which everybody's balking at, they're talking about a million mile powertrain warranty. Now, wouldn't that be great if they stood behind something for a million miles, you know? Well, okay. Will they even be a company to last the car a million miles or is that another thing? That's a whole other thing. That's a whole other podcast. It says here yeah. that that light bulb in the article I just found is about 113 years old. Holy crap, even older than I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just recently hit the news again for some reason. I don't know what it was about. But So wait, is that thing, that thing's older than Betty White? What? Wow. Nothing. But, well, no, yeah. but no, Betty White's pretty young. I mean, but nobody burns all. brighter than Betty White. You're damn right. <laughs> Oh, you're damn right. I don't know if you guys saw that meme of me and Betty White in uh, uh, on the Discord, did you? Well, the, people need to go to our Discord, AquariumGuysPodcast.com. Bottom of the page, you'll see Discord link. It's a online chat used on your phone. Join the fun. And one of our listeners. Tell them. Tell them what it was. They, they Tell them. They photoshopped. No, it happened. It happened? It okay. happened. It's with you in bed with Micro and Betty White. It happened. Was hot. It was a dirty job. Somebody had to do it. I bet you did. All right, back on track. Next thing on the list is food. I like food. So we talked about how there's additives in food. Again, like you know, certain vitamins to try to enhance color. But this is not that we're talking about. Again, this is the Negative Nelly podcast. And I hope this doesn't bring you down. If this is your first podcast, stop. Yeah, don't there. watch this. Go watch some coronavirus 18%. stuff. Yeah, well, go, go watch CNN News and feel happier than this podcast <laughs> right now. But uh, again, if this is the first, go to the beginning. Listen up. But this, with food... Just like dog food, right? Dog food has been filled with filler for years. Canines are a protein diet. You do not feed cat a salad. That is just inhumane. They're not getting their nutrients. They are a different animal. They have acid in their stomachs that can dissolve bone. They are built for meat. So when we're giving dog food and the first ingredient's corn, you're not doing it right, right? And we've known that for years. Uh, you were giving an example, Jimmy, of, of Old Roy dog food. Let's Old, shit on them for a minute. Yeah, let's let's. Who else can we make mad tonight? Um, Old Roy. It's only Walmart. I mean, uh, come on. Now. I wasn't going to say Walmart. Now nobody knows where Old Roy. Old Old Roy dog food number one selling dog food in America. Nothing close to it, people. It's one of the worst dog foods ever. There you go. So number one dog food. Why? Why is it? Why is it number one, Adam? Because it's cheap. There you go, and so and because it's at Walmart, right? And it's it's, it's readily available. I mean, uh, Old Roy is actually Sam Walton's dog. That's what he named the company out, off of. And it probably killed his dog too. You never know. 
So old Roy dog well, his food. His dog probably got good dog food. Yeah. Yeah, he can afford it. Maybe they yeah. changed the recipe. Exactly. So Adam and I used to get a uh, do you remember Pet Product News, Adam? Oh yeah, that was a good that was a good magazine. It was a magazine called Pet Product News. And one time I opened up my Pet Product News when I was sitting in my office, which is the bathroom, and I'm reading about it. And it says old Roy dog food was compared to, and I, it was, it wasn't even anything really fancy, but it was like a high end dog food. But I mean, it wasn't like the top stuff. It wasn't like science diet or something like yeah. that. And so they, they did probably like pedigree. They, they took the same dog. This is the same dog. And they put the, they fed this dog over the course of a couple of months, 50 pounds of old Roy dog food. And they took out 37.5 pounds of waste. Yep. 50 pound bag of dog food. I want to be that guy, you know, that That's just weighing. tells the intern, like, please, can you wait and scoop this crap out of the yard? Yeah, right. And, and then keep it for two months so we can, you know. And the next dog food they uh, they they fed, which was a higher protein dog food. And like I said, it still wasn't like a blue buffalo or anything real top of the line. But it was a good dog food that you'd recognize. And I think they took out something like 12 and a half pounds of waste out of, out of the yard. So, you know, you you produce what you eat, you eat what you produce, and out the poop it comes. So, I mean, there again, you're just eating crap. I'm just trying for no to reason. Im- imagine you on the crapper reading an article about weighed crap. I'm like, are you like, like I wonder how much that weighed. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when we just hit the tree as we went through the ditch on Rob's car. Oh, I know. So just like that, you know, the fillers, the corn, all the stuff that's been dog food is really now hitting the fish like food, yeah, pellets, all the goodies. Now there has to be a higher protein rate on some of these. Otherwise, you know, just frankly, we're just not going to buy them. There needs to be this uh, slow market trend. And the first thing that they've done is krill. Krill is really no longer added to almost all foods in the United States. If you're a food manufacturer, besides I think one or two places, Chris Biggs was telling us about this. Yes, there is not krill in your food. There are different replacements, but krill is no longer in there. Yet they'll still have krill on the label because really there's not a you know not I'm not FDA USDA or there's not some yeah there's no requirement thing. saying that you have to put it on there right so we don't have the backing to go on it but that's how it starts and some of these foods do have filler. You know, I've always had a belief, not scientifically proven, that Wardley has been a big culprit because it puts a lot extra waste. It dissolves. The fish don't hit it like they do other flakes. And I've always said Tetrafin is one of those ones, too. And people believe that Tetrafin don't. Some people have tested it. But do your homework. Instead of buying from a box store, you know, find food from a reputable source. Talk to your breeders. See what they're feeding. Absolutely. Know? I guarantee that most of these uh, things are not feeding flake unless it's on their off season and they're not breeding their fish. They're feeding bloodworms. They're feeding a mixed diet. They're feeding live food. You know, do your homework. Find out what your fish needs. And if you do want to go with a essentially a multi-use flake, you know, go from a, a really reputable swor- a source that you know is backed by someone. Don't just, you know, I'm going to go to, uh, you know, Xbox store and pick up Whatever, whatever's there. Whatever's cheap. And that's, of course, that's what people are after. Whatever's cheap. Uh, the one thing where I really noticed recently, because going back to like like the Tetras and the Wardleys and stuff, there's there's certain different colored flakes that the fish won't even eat. It's like, this is like styrofoam or something. I mean, I noticed that like all the red flakes and one particular brand was all on the bottom of the tank and they wouldn't even touch it, but they'd go after the green flakes. Of course, it was algae. The algae is probably one or of garlic the, mixed in, right? you know, one of the best things you can do is feeding any of your fish algae. They, they love it. 
But uh, when's the last time you saw uh, your fish out eating alfalfa? And there are actually a lot of foods out there now that have alfalfa in there. And unless it's shrimp, probably not an alfalfa eater. Right. So what I really found now is ash content, which which is interesting because I feed a lot of uh, pleco wafers. I feed a lot of shrimp, different foods, and there's different things you'll throw in there. And there's so much waste when the shrimp are done eating. It's just filler and ash and stuff they won't consume. And so ash content has been a, a big thing that I've I've been paying attention to. It's really common years. in cats. Cats are really susceptible to ash content really? in food. And my cats alone, and I've had now... You know, my mom's cats, uh, I had cats when I grew up, I have cats now in my house, and all of those cats are susceptible to the same stuff because we, you know, we go to the local box store, buy whatever the crap is the cheapest, and if they eat it, oh, guess what, they like it. Well, it has a ton of ash content, and cats are susceptible because they get bladder infections, and if you get a cat with a bladder infection, they're pissing everywhere. You bring them to the vet, the vet immediately says, here's an antibiotic to fix this, but to stop this from happening, it'll continue happening after you've had one bladder infection. It'll continue happening unless you remove ash content. You have to do it to a different food. So we actually have to special order food with almost no ash content in it just to stop our cats from getting bladder infections. And can I ask you a personal question? I mean, not, not being a dumbass, but does your cat litter box smell better than it used to? It's certainly not as uh, not as. It's not as full and it's not as nasty. My wife would have to clean them out. And we have two cat litter boxes. We have two cats because we like to have extra cat litter boxes just to encourage good behavior from a young age. And we've just left them there. And she has to do it, you know, three times a week to once a week. That was the change. So there again, you, premium food. Yeah. Did you also add, uh, before I forget, did you also add um, running water? Because I heard that that also helps them when they start having a lot of bladder infections. They make some water fountains just that. Um, or water bowls for cats that m- constantly move the water. Well, a lot of the issues is they'll is drink it's not it. Filtered. So they say that bladder infections get caused by what they drink. They're not drinking enough, number one, or there's something in the water causing the bladder infection because you don't have clean water. Well, we well, always have clean water. We're changing it, you know, three times in a day because we have roommates and we didn't have to do any of that. We actually had our water bowl tested and all kinds of goodies. We were We were good to go. We didn't have to change anything but the food, but that was recommended as these new fountain bowls with filters built in. Okay, my, yeah. My ex-wife bought two of them, and they both failed within 30 days. Two different brands, because her vet told her that moving water will encourage them to drink more. Yep. And, and But anyway, she says, I paid $30 for this one. It crapped out after 30 days, uh, sent it back, and they went, well, here, try our premium one at no extra charge, which is a $50 one. Lasted about 45 days and crapped out. And so, I mean, there again, nothing made to last. And, and Do and- a smaller bowl. That's what we did. We do a nice small, I think it's like a 10-ounce bowl. And we have to continually top it off all day. And that ensures they're getting fresh water instead of getting a fancy Leave running bowl. Leave the toilet lid up, dude. Oh, no. No, no, no. no. It's got to be that's running. bladder infection city. Toilet seat's down. Yeah. No, that's just, my kids are fine. And that's where they drink up. I believe <laughs> You know where um you know what I've seen people do is I've also seen people leave the tap running just to trickle and the cats will learn to drink from that too. Yeah, it's the first thing I want is my cat on the counter. My cats love that. Every morning when we get up and go to the bathroom, that's what they want. They cry at it. They'll even paw at the thing until my wife turns it on. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah, the faucet yeah, every works. Every morning. The faucet works. Well, we have two more on our list here, so let's crank these out quickly. So number one. Let's talk about the coronavirus because let's bring everybody down. We're not YouTube. We can say the word oh, COVID-19 without being demonetized. Where's it from? 
China. Adam. You and Trump know. Adam, how dare you? China. China. So we have, uh, I'm going to butcher the name, chloroquine, which apparently Trump came out with a bunch of government officials and said that we're going to be using this as a treatment for COVID-19. Now, for those that don't know, chloroquine is a drug that's used to treat malaria, commonly used to, to treat parasites in aquariums for many, many years. If you see an antibiotic, if you see an anti-parasite medication, it is used somewhere in the pet world or at least has before they've removed it from the market. Um, you were mentioning before, Adam, that once upon a time, we used to have everything that humans essentially do pretty much unrestricted for pet use. And it was yes. done in form. They had pet dosing and different instructions. And, you know, one dose could whack some stuff out that no longer can or we don't have access to it because of the limiting drug restrictions because everyone was using it for meth or something. No, no, no. It wasn't meth. They were literally using it. So what I was told is that well, they're not using this for meth, but I'm saying that other drugs that are now restricted because they're using it for those drug uses. We yeah. used to have everything. Now we're very reduced by what a veterinarian can even access. Yeah, it just sucks. So this chloroquine, again, is used for parasite removal for fish as well. Now, before we say anything, we are not doctors. We are fish hobbyists. Do not use any re uh, recommendation past your doctor and the CDC for anything related to the COVID-19 infection, educate yourself. Go to the CDC's website. They have plenty of information, including the president's statement on using this drug. We are not making any recommendations to you. None whatsoever. Other than do not use stuff intended. Fish medicines. Fish. What they do is this chloroquine. It's not pure chloroquine. They, it's a mix. It's a blend of anything they're trying to do to treat the parasites, parasites in the water. And trust me, it's not good stuff. So this gentleman that just passed away by using a fish medication had a batch of stuff that can only be assumed as a mix i have yet to see chloroquine sold pure for fish purposes it is almost exclusively in a mix if there's any time to use medication it's not fish medication and he was and not, I, he was not even sick that's what the crazy part he was doing this to try to avoid getting sick and didn't his wife isn't she in like intensive care because of this too one dead, one in the hospital. I don't know if he's passed or not. And that's yeah, just he died. I don't we're know if she we're not. We're not the uh, a source for this. Trust me. Right. But again, don't use anything labeled for pets. Now, I grew up dirt poor. You know, Jimmy made fun of me for a couple of times for some of my sad, sad stories. No, I make fun of podcasts. you all the time for your sad, sad stories. Right. We need sad music right here. <laughs> no sad music. But Rob's did take when he was younger. Um, his mom, mother gave him antibiotics for different sinus infections and stuff when we didn't have insurance and we grew up dirt poor with food, you know, food stamps, the works, you know, I I'm young. I didn't know any better. Now that the stuff that I know, those antibiotics are not pure. Those are not made in safe, you know, clean environments. in a lot of times, so it's playing Russian roulette when you buy fit any type of fish medication and use it for human purposes. They're not made for that. It may be on the bottle, the same antibiotics, but maybe it's a blend. Maybe there's some, um, bacteria in it because they're not um, held in sterile situations never ever ever use pet medications for human consumption even though it has a similar trait never do it yeah i'll back up real quick i'll tell you what i bought one time because i was told to by a pet professional i bought four gallons of formaldehyde because that was told that that would cure any uh, gram positive or gram bacteria 
gram negative or gram positive bacteria infections in fish, and you only put in like one drop per ten gallons. It's so so nasty. Can I you still, even legally buy formaldehyde? Not anymore. When I bought it, <laughs> I, I I had to fill out forms. I still have four full gallons. I don't I don't want to do with it. I don't want to pour it down the drain. I you know I should take it over and, and give it to some somebody poison control. But anyway, um, formaldehyde. When I was a kid, you know, and you're dissecting frogs, that's what they're soaked in. Yeah, you put them in a jar and they keep forever, so to speak. And that crap is so highly carcinogenic, causes cancer like you wouldn't believe, you know, and, and you've got people using this on fish farms and you're kind of like, it's like Roundup, you know, buy a buy a, a little squirt bottle Roundup to kill the weeds around your house. Get cancer. And get cancer. So please, people, be careful. Don't listen to the internet because they don't know what they're doing. Follow all the rules, go to your doctor and don't do any of this stupid crap. And this is soapboxy. I mean, the reason we're doing this is because drug prices are so high in the United States. You can go over, you know, Mexico, get the same drug for a fourth to a 10th, the less of the cost. And people are, you know, frankly poor trying to do this. Like I was, I was dirt poor lights got shut off continually. And I have to take antibiotics that are a uh, fish because my mom gave them to me. Don't do More it. Sad music. Happen. There is places to help you. Don't uh, don't let that be a, a victim because clearly yeah. there's ramifications. You know, e- economically, it is just terrible that people have to make those decisions. When we were just in Mexico in February, not exaggerating, we were on the boardwalk walking where they tell us from the ship to stay on. Don't go off into beyond that fence. They have a eight by ten sheet that has been handwritten with a magic marker selling Viagra and. Next to the sign, it says Viagra, four pills for $10. Next to that was another sign saying, no pictures of the sign. And people are standing there taking pictures of the sign, just laughing their head off. But how many people get off a cruise ship, go and go, I'll try some Viagra from Mexico. Probably not a good idea. (laughs) It didn't work great, let me tell you. All right, last thing on our list. And can I say that this podcast sucks shit right now? Sucks ass. Oh, my God. So uh, we'll get this out of our system. Never have to do this again. But uh, yeah, there's a reason why people don't uh, don't talk about this, and we're not going to hold back because you need to know. What do you got? What's your last thing? Hybrids. Oh Jesus! Your don't favorite. even get me started on <laughs> hybrids. Really? Wow! There went a duck and a half. Duck yeah. and a half. So Jimmy, what are some of the crazy hybrids? Now we've heard like antler guppies. Heard about you know platies and sword tails. That's like age old stuff that doesn't matter. What is some of the real crazy, you know, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde stuff you're seeing coming in? Still, one of my favorites is, is the Angel Ram. Whoa, whoa. Angel Ram. Angel Ram. It looks like a balloon molly with an angelfish body. Have you never seen these? Still one of my favorites. I love them. People love them or hate them. But there are so many hybrids out there and people lose their flipping mind. Either they love them or they hate them. You got goldfish, arandas are a hybrid. Bubble eyes are a hybrid, but they've been around for so long, we just accept them as normal. And uh, that's what drives me insane. You know, they take a, a fish like a Serpe Tetra, they f- keep selecting it to get long fins and, and that sort of thing to beautify and bring something new and exciting to the market. But they're not using common sense. These types of Tetras fin nip and now they're giving them fins to nip. Right. And, and then, so you start crossing uh, different cichlids you start crossing cichlids with with this or that pretty soon you got a horse mating with a freaking guppy and you got horse guppies and you don't know what's going to happen next hey is that seahorses hey adam got one jokes love it the setup so yeah it's like a dad joke (laughs) 
flower horns. Some of the stuff that we're seeing is, you know, flower horns are already a, you know, species that came out of uh, <laughs> came out of a lot of weird breeding. But we're seeing, you know, parrot cichlids crossed with flower horns, parrot horns. You know, we're seeing, you know, balloon pearl garamis. Essentially, they're different types of uh, garamis stunting that they're trying to breed together. Why? Um, all different types of crazy, crazy fish. And a lot out of there. this stuff is done in the petri dish. Honestly, they're they're sitting there. They're taking eggs. A lot of these are sterile. They quickly bat away the male so they don't uh, they they don't get uh, bred with. They're taking the others and trying to cross. And if it works, great. If it makes some sort of mutation that dies immediately and they're inhumane about, so be it. It's 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 random science. This is how the world works for crossing it, and that's why we have stuff like the glowfish that are made in a petri dish. But I think some of the stuff that are finally coming to head that are by far the worst is the new two-headed varieties of fish. Yes. What? You're hearing Wait, it. what? What? They are doing, and this is common now with arowanas. No. When I say common, that they've had a two-headed arowana, and they decided, hey, that's a freak of nature. Let's procreate that and see if we can capture that. And now they're selling a strain of two-headed arowana. I'm flabbergasted. I, I've never heard of that. Holy crap, Ola. Of course, they have to be artificially reared, but it's still a thing that if if you really, really want to dig deep, you can probably find them. Man, I, I think that is just totally, totally wrong. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like to go to the to the weird fairs and see all these uh, weird animals. Bubble-eyed goldfish, all kinds of crazy genetic no, stuff. I'm talking about when you went to the fair and you saw the six-legged calf that was stuffed, you know. And all those crazy that one happened in 1965 yeah, and Billy Bob stuffed it and they brought it to the fair for the last three generations for everyone to see and the thing held together by bailing wire and duct tape. Now imagine Billy Bob had the, you know, hankering that, oh, I bet I could make money if I made six headed calves. Right. And genetic, artificially reared them. Yeah, totally, totally wrong. And uh, can you imagine a, a two headed animal that's trying to you know, feed itself and trying to defend itself, just completely inhumane and wrong. But yet there's a demand out there like every other weird, crazy thing. Um, and people will sell it and they'll make a buck and they will just uh, turn stomachs and turn heads at the same time. Mutations. I mean, there's lines, even the bubblehead goldfish, which I still think is a cool thing to do. At least that can feed, have a f- somewhat of a full life. You can't tell me in this right mind that a two-headed arowana is gonna gonna right. live long at all. I mean, look look how many how many freaks are out there in the world who have money and buy this stuff and create a demand. But now there's people out there who are, who are big big collectors of these mass murderers merchandise. Uh, people like Charlie Manson. It's not necessarily because they're condoning the activities of these crazy people, but it's because that oddities, you know, sell. And that's what the real economic backing on these fish are for. If they, they feel that, wow, that's cool. Well, guess what? It's 59 99 on sale this week. Right. Suddenly the ethics overcome the economics. The, The weirdest thing I've ever held in my hands I was in Dallas, Texas at a place called Autographs, Autographs, Autographs. Ask the guy, because I collect autographs. I've got Gilligan's Island's autographs. I've got I Dream of Genie. I've got like a lot of the 60s stuff. You can have my autograph. No, I don't want your autograph. Psycho. So I asked the guy at that thing. He had a, a John Lennon signed guitar. He had a Jimi Hendrix signed guitar case. He had all kinds of cool stuff, stuff from $50 up to, to 20000 I said, what's the craziest thing you've ever sold or, or that you've got 
And he goes, if you want to wait here, just a minute, he said, I'll go get it for you and show it to you. And he comes with this big plastic envelope, ziplocked, opens it up, hands me a pair of white gloves. Dead serious. Hands me a pair of white gloves. He said, you need to put these on to handle this. And he pulls out this thing. And it looked to me like kind of a weird looking price tag with some string on it type. And I'm like, what the hell is this? He goes, that's Lee Harvey Oswald's toe tag. The man that assassinated JFK, they had his toe tag that they bought at an auction somewhere. And his dad had bought it for his retirement because it was going to be worth so much money. I said, how much is this thing worth? And he goes, tens of thousands. And that's all he said. And I know it was sold not that long ago. I, I actually know it was up for a bid. I don't know if it sold or not. But, um, I mean, there's all kinds of people that collect crazy stuff. So I totally get where somebody comes up with a two-headed arowana thinking that there's some freak that's going to buy one just to try to impress his friends. And it's really sad. So the moral of the story is, on all of this, we're not just trying to get under your skin and talk about the things that make you you know, uncomfortable or give us some bad fan mail. Oh, you pissed me off. <laughs> I always piss you off. It's the things that people don't because they need to be talked about. All of these things as horrible as they, they are, are parts of our hobby. And if they're not talked about, they're not addressed. There's no change. There's no research to make things better. And again, it always comes to ethics over economics. So anytime that you have an element, you, know, you need to ask yourself, you know, it, is this ethical? You need to ask that on every element of your fish. You're responsible for the environment, their livelihood, and recreating a life for your loved pet as anyone should so take these bits of information and you know go forward to your hobby be aware of them and try to make your own decisions as far as what you're willing to condone what you're going to do in your own hobby and how you're going to spread the information to others to help change the hobby again we didn't talk a lot about what happened in the past and how it's got to here but to give you just that small example we talked talked about betas betas used to be shipped on wet paper towels no water, just a moist paper towel, because guess what? The beta can actually breathe oxygen. And that's how they're shipped overseas for a couple of days. And that was kibosh because ethics. We, we could not stand that in our fish hobby, and we did something about it to change it, to make our hobby better. And that's what we can do. So, you know. We, we haven't talked about the bat rays. Yeah, we haven't talked about bat rays. We've talked about modifying, actually. So I think that was brought up once before. Modifications, but, yeah. Uh, well. some modifications, But again, talking about these with your friends, uh, having real heart-to-heart conversations, making this known is important. And the responsibility of those that are broadcasting, you know, fish tubers alike, even though YouTube may demonetize your video, it has to be shared somehow or it'll never change. So share the information, take heed, and number one, put your fish's ethics beyond economics. Well said. I'm going to get off my soapbox because this episode sucks. Sucks, bud. All right. On that note, we're going to kick the podcast. I swear the next one will be better. Podcast out. Thanks, guys, for listening to this podcast. Please visit us at AquariumGuysPodcast.com and listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and anywhere you can listen to podcasts. We're practically everywhere. We're on Google. I mean... Just go to your favorite place, Pocket Casts, subscribe to make sure it gets push notifications directly to your phone. Otherwise, Jim will be crying in his sleep. Can, can I listen to it in the in my treehouse? In your treehouse, in your fish room, even alone at work. What about at my man cave? Especially your man cave. Yeah. Only if Adam's there. No. With feeder guppies. No. no. 
They're endlers. You midget loving sucking motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll see you next time. <laughs> Later.